0: Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers.
1: Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to see what the hype was all about. Now, I literally can't miss a day. It's the first thing I put in my body every single morning. As someone who suffers from IBS, AG1 has completely improved my gut health and allows me to have sustained energy throughout the day. And since I'm always on the go, the travel packs make it so easy to stay consistent wherever I am.
0: Love it. I've personally been taking AG1 for a while. And as someone who lacked a multivitamin routine, AG1 has been the perfect product to mix into my morning routine. Truthfully, I was a skeptic at first as I'm with most supplements and vitamins, but I felt noticeably better at the start of morning workouts and definitely have seen an improvement in my digestive health. I tend to mix my AG1 with two tablespoons of lemon juice and coconut water, and it's delicious. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash STW. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash STW to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance.
1: Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Cuts founder and CEO, Stephen Borelli. Cuts is on a mission to inspire those to compete and win in the sport of business. It was in one business meeting that Stephen realized there needed to be clothing that fit well and was comfortable, but was not a suit or a button-down shirt. Cuts has clothing for both men and women designed with timeless style, versatility, and comfort. We talked to Stephen about the competitive landscape, how he even began making clothing, and why Cuts is set up to win.
0: Stephen, welcome to Scrab into Wellness. How are
1: you? I'm
2: doing good. How are you?
0: Great. been A huge fan of cuts forever. Love the San Diego connection. One of the best fitting shirts in my closet. Would love to open it up to you. Hear how you thought of this amazing idea and uh, where you guys are at today.
2: Yeah, I, uh, back in 2016, I was working at an advertising agency and my boss actually kicked me out of a meeting and he said, hey, you know, you're wearing an, an athletic brand to the, these meeting, to have to an important meeting. And he said, you know, uh, go find something else to wear, and wouldn't let me pr- uh, present my deck to uh, a potential client. And at the time I was wearing you know an athletic shirt, nice jeans and dress shoes, but he was like, you know just because it has that athletic logo on it, you know you're not um, it's not formal enough for the uh, uh, work attire. So that kind of sparked a that sparked a, a a neuron in my brain that said, hey there you know there's an opportunity here where the market needs a work dress up shirt, something that was still felt like an athletic shirt where it's comfortable, but position where you could look and feel your best best on a, on a important meeting or a date with, you know, a, a potential new girlfriend or something like that. And um, so at that point, I moved back home with, with my parents and started uh, cuts. That's
0: awesome. Um, and just to rewind a little bit. So if I'm not mistaken, you guys started off in 2016 doing kind of a crowd fundraise. Is that right?
2: Yeah, we launched in 2000. So I actually moved home like in 2015, but we launched end of 2016 on Kickstarter. We raised $40,000. Wasn't a lot of money, but it was just enough to start. Uh, And I think about now like $40,000 doesn't do anything. But uh, at the time, like I was like, you know, that's, uh, you know, it showed me that there's definitely like a market for it. Um, and so from there we, uh, you know, I moved to LA, got a team. I started with four guys, one a, uh, uh, data engineer from Boeing. Uh, it's my uh, accounting as my CFO and then, uh, a marketing guy that could, sh- that was really good with the camera. And the four of us created a nucleus where we, we were all doing four different things. Um, but it was a really powerful nucleus because we, uh, we were just well covered for what the things we needed to do. And, you know, the next few years looked like a lot of trips to China, Um, you know, a lot of product development and a lot of like learning e-commerce and manufacturing. Um, But we were able to scale really quickly. We're profitable on our orders. And to this day, we haven't raised uh, primary capital.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's one point I definitely want to cover. I guess just a few questions and a bit to unpack there. So, what do you think about brands that are just getting started, kind of the pros and cons about doing kind of an equity crowd raising, like a Kickstarter? What, what was your kind of experience
2: with that? So at the time, I was new to the whole investing world. I'm much more versed in it now. So I'm definitely not against uh, raising money, but I'm also not for it. It just needs to be like right for what you need to do and always try to raise less if it's in in, in primary capital than, than you think because- you know, the more and more you raise, the more and more people you're eventually going to have to pay back. A lot of people don't look at it that way, but, you know, you have, like, if you're a good entrepreneur, you should take a lot of pride in paying those people back. And, you know, the last few years, you've seen so many people just like raise crazy valuations. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to pay that back. And then you're going to be the guy that lost a lot of money uh, from people. So my, my, I grew up in a small town, actually Washington. My dad was really against like, you know, using uh, debt in any way. So he kind of scared me. And, and so at the time, we didn't even know it was a resource for us. We just said, hey, we, we got to put our shirts online and we got to sell them at a profit, you know, like very yeah. basic. Um, and so, you know, the first couple of years, we, we just were really efficient with our uh, marketing spend. And, you know, one shirt in, you know, $1 in, $2 out, or uh, I'm sorry, every dollar every purchase, we made sure we made money that we could afford double the amount of inventory and, uh, you know, even to this day, that's kind of how it's been.
0: Yeah, it's super impressive. It's it's obviously a challenge for so many entrepreneurs to get to, like, profitability that early. Um, and I and I completely hear you. Like, I think some of the nicest businesses are, are businesses, right, that, you know, don't raise, don't need to raise a ton of money early, can really keep, you know, avoidance of dilution, grow at the pace that they want to grow at, and then at the end of the day, um, pay themselves for, for all the hard work that they've put in over the years. So the fact that you're able to like kind of maintain your equity, it sounds like really bootstrapped is awesome. Could you jump in a little bit on getting kind of the supply chain and the operation set up and and like how you kind of thought about unit economics and trying to make it as profitable as possible and kind of strategies to do that for like a clothing company?
2: Yeah, I think that unit economics is super important. We were built for online from the start. So like, it's funny, you see a lot of brands that are like $24 or whatever. And and I know what their cogs are. And and it's, you know, it's really hard to, to, to run that, that, that formula because, you know, your CPA costs could be so much. Before I started cuts, I ran a barbecue glove company online. I should say, I don't even, it wasn't even really a company. It was just like an idea. And we lost a ton of money because we're like, Oh, the the product's 14 bucks. It cost me or it cost me ten cents to make fourteen bucks to sell, boom! I'm going to make so much money on this. But the, the 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 part of the formula that I didn't count was the the cost to acquire a customer, which ended up being more than the cost of the the price I could sell it at. So I quickly knew I had to build when I created cuts. I had to create a, a premium brand to be able to afford the, uh, the this the high CPA costs, which which is you know, and they've gotten higher, and. Um, so understanding where your, your union economics are from the get-go is like, we'll make or break you as a brand. Um, so with creating a higher priced item, it's not like we could just have a shit product and and charge 50 bucks for it. We had to build a brand around actually having a quality product. And then the way we market had to be different and had to be a little bit more elevated than the next. So it really affected the way we attacked the brand positioning of the marketplace. So it was really holistically way to. To get that, a lot of people think unit economics—you can just kind of run the formula and put it out there. But if your brand positioning isn't right, like people aren't going to pay that price because it either looks too cheap and uh, it doesn't justify the 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 cost. So there's a lot of uh, uh, things you have to do to to think about unit economics
0: yep and you made the comment earlier about looking at overseas production and and still obviously trying to build like a premium high quality brand, which honestly every anything I bought from cuts is is incredible quality um can you talk about maybe like the pros and cons or you know trying to get your supply chain overseas versus doing it kind of in the United States and like how you made that decision?
2: yeah, so we did it in the United States for like right about until like f- the first, you know, ten million dollars of units sold, probably maybe maybe a little bit more, um, and we just, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to really scale here. One, the the machinery. A lot of people think the 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 product gets made with more quality in the U.S. In apparel, that's like so wrong. the the The, the machinery in the U.S. is like from the 1970s. There's been no innovation because no one is sticking around when they get to true scale. So the quality is actually not better in the US. It's just, it's like one of the biggest lies that you hear, but it's so far from the truth. Like when you go to the places we are, Vietnam or Peru or China, like you could lick off the ground. It's like a tech company. It's so clean. Mm -hmm. At least the places we use, I know they're not always like that, but you know, in the early days we were running around China with our head cut off and, you know, actually a funny story is I was playing basketball in LA and this kid comes up to me like a week before. I was going to China. He's like, I can make your items, you know, for half the cost there in the US. And I'm like, this guy's kind of weird. Why is he ask, telling me this on the basketball court? So the next week I go to Hong Kong and we're, we're, we have this tour with this agent that we kind of are running around the factories and the fabric mills. And through seven days, we couldn't find anything like nothing. Then this kid calls me. He's like, Hey, I got a driver for you. It's eight hour drive, but you should go. We're like two hours outside of Hong Kong. He sends a car at 6am. The guy doesn't speak a lick of English. He just has like Mr. Borelli up. We get in this random car drive eight hours. It was like a loopy drive. We were so tired. We get there and it's like this little tiny town outside of China. And I would try to pronounce it, but it's just hard. I don't even know how to pronounce it still. And uh, we get there, we go to the fabric mill and the people were so grateful for us being there. They We got to go in the fabric mill and like we were baking a cake. We got to add sp- poly too. We got to add 100% cotton, and he would run the mills for us. And we like, uh, I have a photo of it on my Instagram. But you know, he you, the type of service that we got in that trip was like a, a service like not even Nike gets sometimes. Like they were going through like every piece of yarn to make make our shirts. Um, and by the end of the couple of days there, we got a you know we had our, our dream fabric and, and product. It was at a really great price. And it was all because of this one random call from this kid that I met that really provided a a great launching pad for us. And then that was really like, because we had that good supplier and such a good relationship and because we went there, like they said, they'd never seen a brand that was just starting out actually show up. Um, And and it was funny, like we were describing like our fabric and I would be like, it wasn't even through words. It was like through like, um, like almost like there was, we didn't have a translator. So it was like you know, like pointing to like, we had this microscope and we're like, we need this many lines in the fabric. And it was so, uh, uh, like kind of funny because no one was speaking the same language, but we figured it out. And I was like, no, 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 do this. And, you know, yes and no is about the only words that worked during that conversation, but we were able to kind of get over that barrier and make a great product
1: that story like gave me chill. I feel like I was just in like a dream, you know, like in those like crazy movies where someone drives you to like a crazy place and and whatnot. Um, I love that so much. I want to kind of shift a little bit, but talk about the landscape because I think we, especially now in this post-COVID era where people are dressing more informally than ever. And there's so many companies now trying to embrace this like athleisure lifestyle. And we see, you know, corporations taking away suits as mandatory policies and whatnot. So I think there's there's definitely something here. I'm wondering how you guys are differentiating yourselves with the Viores, with the Lulus, with the Buck Masons of the world. Like, how is cuts standing apart?
2: Well, I think the biggest difference between Viore, Gymshark, Nike, Lulu is. Those brands were made with the primary purpose of is to service people going either to the gym or doing something active. The difference of cuts is we are born in one of our taglines is we are the world's first work leisure brand, like not transitioning from athleisure to work leisure, like some of these brands are doing, but uh, from the birthplace we're for the office and for the nine to five, but just in a more casual way. And it's really from that first uh, initial story where I was wearing athleisure in the boardroom and my boss said, that's too informal. And so I think that's really been our competitive advantage on a lot of brands is, is again, market positioning is yeah. You know, some of these other brands can have a little bit more casual, less athletic stuff, but in a boardroom, when you've got an important meeting, are you going to wear that? Are you going to wear cuts? You're, you're not going to like, it's too informal for those uh, business-like settings. And so uh, that's really how you stand out and I think the kind of talking about the landscape of DEC right now, you know, during, I always say like from the 2013 to the 2019, early 2020, like you, the business model itself was what made brands successful, not the brands because it was so innovative to sell online. People are like, oh, this is cool. It's, at my, it's on my phone. I can just get it in two days. Boom. I'll try it out. But brands, didn't, they could just sell individual products. They didn't really have to think of selling uh, against someone because it was so innovative. Now with more competition and higher CPAs, it's kind of, I use the analogy, like when you go in and it's kind of like when you go into Nordstrom, you go into Nordstrom, you're stacked against this brand and this brand and this brand. And so you actually have to be the better brand. You have to be better, well-positioned in the marketplace. The fabrics have to be better. All, the customer reviews have to be better. The community needs to be better and then cut someone will want to buy. Um, so it's the formula and the, the. Uh, and because of high, heightened uh, increase in competition, there's just more things you, you have to do to be successful in 2022.
1: Yeah, so much there. I think you touched on uh, you know, the retail component here, which I'd love to understand your guys' strategy. I know there were, and uh, you guys are sold in Nordstrom, which I know you just mentioned. What was the approach and how are you kind of approaching the omni-channel strategy And what made you choose Nordstrom as this first foray into retail?
2: Yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, to be a a household billion dollar brand, like we want to be one day, you're going to have to have an omni-channel approach and Nordstrom, you know, we're not going to be one of those brands. that's like everywhere we wanted to pick the, like the creme to the creme to kind of launch with. And Nordstrom's is one of those that we've started with. Um, We look forward, you know, next year, we're going to open up two brick and mortar stores, Which I think are gonna lead to a lot of, uh, like, that's real brand building. People can sense and feel it. Um, And so, you know, what I think people are finding out is the consumer actually does like to go to the store to purchase something. And a 30 minute drive when they've been working from home all day is something maybe they look forward to. As before COVID, you know, when everyone was hustling and bustling, um, you know, there's not necessarily a direct correlation. The market thought if everyone's working from home, everyone's actually gonna wanna buy online. But I think it's it, it's not it's not proving that way. People actually working from home now want to go meet up with their friends at the mall and buy something. So I think you'll start to see that shift back to stores because because there is more work from home now.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I I completely agree with that approach. And kind of switching topics, you've been at this for a little while now. I guess just one in your head. Do you think about a liquidation event and exit opportunity? Are you always having those conversations just as an entrepreneur in your stage? Like, how do you think through that potential event? Or is it just your heads down? And, and when it, you know, in the moments, right, the moments, right.
2: Uh, we're, you know, Cuts is, is on the path to be a household billion dollar brand one day. And, uh, you know, I've been able to pull some money out from profits over the years. And, uh, you know, there's so much more there's the story is not even close to written on us. So, uh, you know, every year I kind of look at it, you know, we talk to people, um, you know, you know, I've had the opportunity to sell a little bit of secondaries here and there. I still own, you know, the lion's share of the business. We don't have any real, real partners, uh, in that regard. But, uh, yeah, I, I think for us, like, uh, every year we'll look at it and if the right partner wants to pay the right price and is like, Hey, Steven, let's, let's go, take over and be the world's first work leisure brand, I think I would I would jump at that opportunity. Um, but we're not going to waste a lot of time like running a process or doing stuff like that. We want to, we're in this for the long haul. You know, I always say I'm a prideful guy. I, I, I want to see tons of cuts all over the all, stores all over the world. Um, uh, I think if I were to sell it right now, I would always be like, damn, like, yeah, I have a lot of money, but look at this guy. He's got more than me and his stores look sick. Like I look at Joe and Viore. And uh, I want to have more stores than him one day, you know, and I hope he listens to this and he can, he can <laughs> hear me say that, uh, you know, I look up to him as well. You know, he's, 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 he's like four or five years older than us. Um, I think they got started closer to like 2010, but uh, you know, I think a lot of founders, they get so caught up in a five-year window where business is actually much longer than, than that. We just lived in a hyper growth environment over the last couple of years where there's been so much growth capital and some brands have been able to really use that to their advantage. And and then some brands, you know, crashed and burned, like we're seeing right now. So uh, you know, businesses really were more on the 20 year timeline and around 10, 12 years, they're, they're, they're barely reaching maturity. Cuts is really five and a half years old right now. And I just feel like we just launched women's we're barely getting started. You know, we've been profitable business since day one, like uh, you know, that we're just barely scratching the surface of what this could be one day.
0: Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's a great answer. And I think to go back to what you told us at the beginning of this episode, right? Like you've been so careful about who you put on the cap table, if any. Um, and and that makes you a bit different than a Buori who has some really high profile inv- investors who have certain economic terms, control terms, probably liquidation preferences that they're looking yeah. to you know, to to capitalize on. Um totally. you set and this up. And that's a that's a huge, I just think that's a huge differentiator just in terms of the way you've gone about it versus Warrior Lulu.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think at one point for us to to compete with the big dogs, we're gonna need an influx of cash. But you know, I always tell this story, which which is a good lesson on podcast was I wanted to sell 10% of the business for hundred K after year one. And, or maybe it was, it was, I think it was 30% of the business for hundred K. Um, and my, me and my professor, like couldn't agree to terms, but I almost did it. Cause I was like, man, hundred K, that's a lot of money. Let's go. Uh, I would have been, I mean, that, 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 and on our latest, like private, you know, valuation would have been worth, you know, 30 million or something, or no, more than that. It would have been worth 40 something million. Um, and uh, like, thank God I didn't do that what you know that same lesson could apply to today i think cuts is going to be you know lululemon's market cap is 40 billion and that's athleisure i think the work leisure category could be bigger who's to say you know any percentage that i give up now could be worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars like that always keeps me from wanting to to raise because i just believe in the business so much
1: yeah it makes total sense um I wanna make sure we have time for our most favorite question. We like to ask all of our our guests is how they subscribe to wellness. So what are some things you do on a daily, weekly basis to be able to show up for yourself as well as to show up for cuts? So I I always start my day working out.
2: So it actually starts with the night before. So I go to bed um, and I put my phone in a different room Cause I'm so busy. I'll look at it until the second I fall asleep. So I try to put my phone a- a- away around like seven 30, eight o'clock at night. And then the last hour, either watching a show or just kind of hang with my girlfriend like cleaning up the house, like cleaning before I go to bed kind of soothes me a little bit. Cause it's like, it's not watching TV, but you're kind of thinking, you're kind of getting your last thoughts out for the night. And then I'm able to fall asleep. Nice. Um, then I wake up, I always hit the gym. Um, Right, right when I wake up, I always have lemon water. I try to finish a glass of hot, like lukewarm lemon water. Been doing that for years. I think that really helps my digestive system kind of get kicked off in the right way. Um, and then I uh, uh, hit the gym, come back to the house, um, get, uh, get on my computer around 730 from my house while I'm drinking coffee. And I, I send out like all my directors, like top of mind things that uh, are like kind of stressing me out. And I think that really allows me to start the day and like, okay, my, the people that are, that are, that are working for me, they know what they need to do. Um, then I can get, get into the office and I can feel good and not feel so like rushed. Uh, so that, th- those emails usually go at around seven 30. And then, uh, um, sometimes I do a walk right after that, um, with headphones on, try to get my, uh, myself pumped. I live really close to where I, I work. I live like, uh, like less than a mile away. So Sometimes I walk to work, and that's when I can kind of like either listen to a podcast and kind of get my brain going, and then I'm in the office by eight. So that's kind awesome. of my morning routine.
0: I love it, and I bet the girlfriend loves that cleaning habit. I probably should adopt that.
2: My wife would be much happier. My fiance, uh, yeah, yeah, she loves, she loves it.
0: There you go, and you there you go. It's quick, quick switch there to fiance. That's good.
2: Uh, <laughs> I know um, I'm getting used to saying that.
0: I <laughs> you know it's hard. I'm getting used to saying wife. I got married two months ago. i was like,
2: my Um. Anyways. Where can listeners learn more about cuts? We have a podcast that I launched. It's called uh, for the sport of business. Yes. We've had NBA champ, champions. We've had Melvin uh, Gordon, Melvin Gordon. Uh, you know, uh, lot, and we have lots of cool business guests coming up, a bunch of pro athletes, uh, a guy on the Lakers. I'm, I can't say his name yet, but uh, Lakers and uh, Bulls. We have this year representing oh, yeah. people on there, which is going to be cool. Um all around what it takes to be successful in the sport of business um, in different fields, whether it's athletes, business people, entrepreneurs, uh, where we get a get a go over their life and how it applies to sport of business. That's probably the best to kind of connect with me directly. or um, we also have a blog on our site uh, that every now and then I'll do like Steven's favorite things and I talk about my favorite books and stuff. Or on the most basic level, at Stephen Brelli on Instagram now, TikTok, Uh, and Twitter. So those ones, uh, you could check out.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Pleasure speaking with you. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Love it. Have a good one. Um, thanks everyone for listening to today's episode, feel free to rate review and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness and we'll see you next time.